Welcome to Friendship Vallejo. I'm Pastor Justin, and this is the place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything is possible. Verse number 14 says these words, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and don't need anything, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich, and wear white clothes so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they will eat with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father who's on his. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You may be seated, even in the presence of the Lord. God, open our eyes that we might see you, our hearts that we might hear you, and break our hearts as we learn to love you. Laodicea was interesting. It's going to come up on the screen. Uh, You're going to see the first picture here of Laodicea. It was a supreme banking center. It was a few miles from Colossae. It was a wealthy, you can see here we're ending it. So everything in the book of Revelation went counterclockwise. So Paul, uh, we believe, one of the green specks in the Aegean Sea, he was about a a mile or so off of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Uh, So he went, started in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, uh, Sardis, uh, Philadelphia, now Laodicea, went counterclockwise. You can see where they are. And in the midst of that are areas where Paul planted churches. And uh, so the church at Laodicea was, you can go to the next slide, was about three miles north of um, Colossae. It was known for a few things. I want to give this because the language that Jesus uses in this letter is important to understand this. So this is Laodicea. Uh, Laodicea was a travel city, so it was not near any water, and that's important. It wasn't near water, and so it was a travel city. It was a banking city. Think Wall Street. Um, this was Laodicea, and so they were known for a few things. Um, it was a wealthy hub. They were known this where the pillars are is their old medical complex. So um, if you remember earlier, we talked about the temple of um, uh, I think it's Archaea in the t- in Thyatira, and that's where they had the main medical space where it was a more of a, a worshiping the god of medicine. Where here they were so wealthy um, that they just built their own medical complex because of all the travel people came in. The textiles were so massive because of the minerals in their water. We're going to get to that in a second because they didn't have water. We'll talk about how they got water, which is why the hot and cold comes in. But their minerals in their water were so ma- were so amazing that it made amazing textiles and steel. So like. They were able, everyone's armor would come from um, Laodicea. Their textiles, dark textiles, so bright textiles came from Smyrna, and dark textiles came from Laodicea. And so they got all of this amazing stuff in Laodicea. Um, They had beautiful wool. They had beautiful things that developed and sold. And that's where they thought, think about like today, if you go to downtown San Francisco, or we've been to Walnut Creek, great malls, all the expensive car dealerships, expensive clothes, expensive everything. I mean, that was Laodicea. It was where the wealthy went. It was where the the, the smart ones were. It was a beautiful, self-sustaining community that got the worst rebuke of all the churches. You can take it down because here's why. In 17 AD, when an earthquake devastated Laodicea, they didn't need Rome to help them recover because Laodicea had everything together. It was a great place to live. It was a great place to exist. They had money. They had influence. They had popularity. And frankly, the Christians that were in that city 
they, they could use God, but they didn't think they needed God. They had everything, right? And so, when, like, for example, you remember last week in Philadelphia, when the earthquake devastated Philadelphia, they were so betrayed by Rome because Rome didn't help them. Whereas Laodicea, they were so betrayed by, they, that when the same earthquake hit uh, Laodicea, they were like, it's fine, we'll recover on our own. That's how wealthy Laodicea was. And it's to that community where a church was planted just a couple miles up in Colossae, and now the same church, another one is planted in Laodicea. They've existed for now some 30 or so years. And uh, as J Jesus is writing letters to the churches to prepare them for his coming, don't, I don't want us to miss this. The book of Revelation is God's way of preparing us for him coming back. And here he gives us this the worst rebuke of all of the letters. And we see this in verse 14. Let's start with Christ's character. Christ's character, if you want to follow along with notes, number one is verse 14. Those of you watching online, I put the notes in the Bible app. We're in the Bible app as well. But to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. These are the words. Look how Jesus describes himself. The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the ruler of God's creation. Once you see how Jesus talks about himself, he says, I am the amen, I am faithful, I am true, and I am the ruler of all creation. I want you to see this. It's amazing because this is the first time Jesus describes himself as the amen, which is so important to us. We've seen faithful, we've seen true, and now we're going to see a different Greek word when it comes to the ruler of his creation. So let me walk through this. The word amen is the first time used as a personal name for Jesus. Normally, the word there is used verily. So we get verily, verily, I say unto you, all of this. Jesus is now putting himself prior to that statement. So I am the amen. I am the verily. And he's referring to himself as the source of certainty and the source of truth. And what he's combating is what they feel they need to worship. They feel that their source is their money, their influence, their power, and what they can sell. Jesus comes along and inverts, in essence, our prayer life and says, no, it's not the ending. I'm starting at the beginning. I am the source. I am the certainty. I am the truth. There is no conjecture. There is no guesswork when it comes to me. Jesus says, I am a man. So when you say a man, you're talking about me. I'm the sealer of everything. So now this time, Jesus is starting it off saying that I am a man. Then he says, not only am I a man, but secondly, he says, I'm faithful. The word faithful in this text, when John uses it, is going to be the word trustworthy. And so when John says this, and Paul uses it later as he reads this in 2 Timothy and 1 Thessalonians, that Jesus is trustworthy. Not only that, but then he says he's true. So not only is he trustworthy, but he is true. What Jesus is doing here, the Greek here, is he's combining all the qualifications of being a witness to the work of the Father. So not only is he faithful to his word, he's the truth-telling witness of what actually happened with the Father. So that when Jesus speaks, he's telling you exactly what happened. That you don't have to question what Jesus said because Jesus says, I am a part of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I'm telling you the truth about what I've seen and what I've done. That's why if God ever tells you something, don't question it. The last thing here, then Jesus shows us. He says, I'm the amen, I'm faithful, I'm true. And then he comes back to Laodicea again at the end by saying the last part of my character, I was there in the beginning of creation. 
He says, I am the ruler of God's creation. I want you to see here. Jesus, it's a new title. We've never seen this, but it's similar to language that Paul used in Colossians chapter 1. I want you to see this. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Because what Paul is talking about is Jesus, and he's talking about then the power of Jesus and when Jesus created us. So it's amazing when you see this. Go to Colossians chapter 1, and I want you to see verse 15 through 18. Because this is so important that Jesus is saying, I, I was there in creation, and I am over creation. That's you and me as well. Colossians 1 verse 15 through 18 says these words. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. He is in him are all things held together. He is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will have first place in everything. The beginning here is not meaning that Christ was the first created, but that he is the source of creation, right? So he's not saying I'm the firstborn. He is saying that things were created because I thought about it, that by him all things are made, not with him, but by him and through him. So Jesus is saying, I am the amen, I seal it all, I am faithful, I am true, and from me everything has been created. Now, this is so important because in Laodicea, it was not the idol gods they worshipped that made Jesus frustrated. It was them. They worshipped their wealth, their location, their opportunity, what they had. And that's why Jesus is reminding them, you don't own you. I created you. This text is a challenge, church, as we end this series of Revelation, to refine your center. Because the reason so many of us in our lives are shaky is because you're off-center. Jesus isn't grounding you. So it's not the idols that get you like other churches. It's not sexual immorality that gets you. It's not Jezebel. It's not Balaam. It's not your past. It's not slander. It's you that's killing you. Jesus writes to Laodicea and gives them the harshest rebuke. He doesn't commend them. He goes right to correction. Look what he says here, verse 15. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. I know your deeds. You are not cold. You are not hot. I wish you were just one of them. But you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. So look what I'm going to do. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. The Aramaic there, I'm going to, you make me throw up. I'm going to throw you up. The word spit there, throw you up. You say I'm rich because I've acquired wealth and don't need anything, but you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy gold from me, refined in the fire, so you can become rich, wear white clothes, cover your nakedness, and put salve on your eyes. Let me show you this. So, verse 15, he, he's challenging them to be something. So, so often we get this hot and cold, and I want you to get some context clues. The word hot and cold is language, the, the, the meaning we put on it is stuff that we as Western Christianity have added to it. So, we see the word hot, and it's like revival fire or cold, like you don't want to go to church. That's not the text. What Laodicea was a hard place to live, wasn't a hard place to live, it was a great place to live, but their main issue was water. The city was not built like other cities where they were built near water or on water, near a lake or near a sea. They were built in the middle of a desert on a trade route with one goal, to make money. 
And their main two things they produced were textiles and eye salve. People would travel from all across that region to get the eye salve that would heal your eyes if you came to Laodicea. So I'm going to shoot some images on the screen here really quickly. So they got, men, they got water from two places. One, Hierapolis. Hierapolis is about seven miles north of Laodicea. So that, 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 that's the white stuff you see around there is not snow, it's minerals. So the water here was healing water. It was naturally hot, boiling water. And so what the people in Laodicea did is they put pipes in to this water and piped the water to Laodicea. The issue was that the water was hot in Hierapolis. By the time it traveled in the pipes, it's not like our pipes today, by the time it traveled in the sewage pipes to get to Laodicea, all the minerals and all the, 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 the weather in Asia, by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. That's the context. He says, so you're not hot because that's useful. It heals people. Hot water is useful. Like, you, nobody, you like hot coffee. No one likes lukewarm coffee. You drink iced coffee or hot coffee, but lukewarm coffee is disgusting. Jesus is saying literally, so not only is it lukewarm water coming to Laodicea from Hierapolis, but then he says it's full of minerals. So all of that is mineral deposits from that water. So now the water in Laodicea from Hierapolis would be nasty and disgusting. Hence, Jesus says, I'll spit you out. Go to the next slide. So then you see here, so not only Hierapolis, but then Colossae. So remember the book of Colossians, the church at Colossae? This is it. So Colossians was at the foothills of this mountain. And so what, just like we would get ice mountain water or Fiji water, from the foothills of this mountain, the melted snow, you get this fresh, wonderful, cold water. And these are the samples of the pipes. You can see the mineral deposits in the pipes. So that we get this fresh water from Colossae and just three miles away. But think about it, in the heat of Asia Minor, by the time the water would be piped in in the pipes they made at that time, un non-insulated pipes, by the time it would be piped in from Colossae and get to Laodicea, the water that was freezing cold was now lukewarm. Because cold water has a purpose. You can drink, you want ice cold water, ice cold lemonade, ice cold whatever. You want warm hot tea, you want hot tea, you want good hot tea, good hot black tea, hot coffee. But lukewarm water, lukewarm tea, lukewarm coffee, Jesus is sitting here saying it'll spit you out. And not just that, but because of all the minerals inside of it, it's unconsumable. I want you to be a hot Christian. I want you to be a cold Christian because it's useful. We added the meaning to hot and cold. Literally, Jesus says hot water is useful. Cold water is useful. Lukewarm, nasty mineral water is not useful. It's just, so Jesus says, it makes me throw up. Jesus says, Laodicea, I wish you were hot because at least you'd be useful. I wish you were cold because at least you'd be useful, but you make me throw. I want you guys to think about this. Over the last six weeks, we have looked at six different churches. He told Ephesus, you've lost your first love. He told Pergamum that y'all, I'm tired of y'all orgies after worship. He told Thyatira, y'all act like Jezebel. He told Sardis, you're dead. But none of them made Jesus throw up. What makes Jesus throw up? Really, it's self-deception. See, Jesus can deal with fixing some of the things that we bring in, but the issue is the stuff we send out. Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, your worst defilement in Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, this is stuff that comes out of you. That's hard to fix when your integrity is shaken, when your mind is messed up. Jesus says, you make me throw up because you are comfortable being lukewarm. 
You think you're hot, but you're lukewarm. You think you're cold, but you're lukewarm. And how does he say it? Well, look at verse 17. Jesus says, you say, look what he says. He quotes them. I'm rich, I got money, and I don't need anybody. Um, sorry, that sounds like some of us in the room, doesn't it? I, I got this. I went to school here. I grew up here. My last time's here. I don't need friends. No new friends. I don't need this. I don't need that. I don't need a person in my life. I don't need Jesus. I'll show up and be, I'll, give, I'll do Jesus a favor by coming to worship on Sunday because I got this. I drive this. I went here. I accomplished this. Jesus says, you say this, but when I look at you, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says this level of self-deception and self-sufficiency makes him throw up. Let me say this very clearly before anybody leaves out of here and gets it convoluted. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with growing and becoming. There's something wrong when you do it without Jesus. I'm going to back it up because I don't want anyone to misquote me. There is nothing wrong with success. Please get your success. Get your bag. Get your coin. Be successful. Go do what you got to do for Jesus. But do, having success without Jesus is like this. It's like a car with no seats. Like you're moving, but it's uncomfortable. There's nowhere to sit. There's no way to enjoy the ride. You're moving, but it's so uncomfortable. You're worried at any given moment, will this fall apart because Jesus is not keeping it together. Be successful, but do it with Jesus. Why? Go back to verse number one. He's the amen. He's faithful, he's true, and he's the creator. My prayer for all of us this year, as you go into next year, is sustainable success. I want you to get over one-time successes. I want you to get over taking first steps and not taking second steps. I want you to get over being popular one time, going viral one time, being known for something you did 10 years ago when God's grace did not stop the last time God did something good. May your success be sustained not with people, but may your success be sustained with Jesus. May Jesus never look at you and say, you make me throw up. Does your lifestyle make Jesus throw up? Would your text messages from last week make Jesus throw up? Would the way you worship make Jesus throw up? Would the way you show up to church, would the way you talk to people, would the way you look at people, with the way, with the way you throw people away, would that make Jesus throw up? Because you're not hot, you're not cold, you're just lukewarm. If this doesn't make you take a deep gulp and look at your life and make you want to throw up the offended card, then I'm not preaching the text as faithful as I need to preach it. Studying this text for the last three weeks has really made God punch me in the gut. Have there been sermons I preached that made Jesus throw up? Because I had to close. I put a video up. I got a video sent to me of me preaching a couple weeks ago, and I felt so good, and I had to delete that off my phone because I felt my ego say, Justin, you preached and not just in Jesus was seen. Because that sermon made Jesus throw up. Deacons, does your service make Jesus excited or does he throw up? Ushers, does your service make Jesus happy or does he throw up? Preachers, does your sermons make Jesus excited or does he throw up? Because you're not hot, you're not cold, you're just here. So what does he say to do? Well, let me tell you what he says to do, and I pray we heed these words, and these words that I've taken personally to my own heart. Look what he says in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold that's been refined so that you can really become rich. 
You see this? He says, and white clothes to wear so you can be covered and salve on your eyes so you can see. Look at the text. Jesus is being so shady. Like, I want to be so funny. Verse 18, he says, I want you to buy something. So get this. If they are poor, what can they afford, right? So he's saying, like, listen, I, Jesus is saying, you are so in love with your money. Try buying something from my store. That's literally what Jesus is saying, right? Don't miss this. He says, try buying something, but I give. But then he goes back and references Isaiah 55, which is why it's so important. I love this, because they would have known the Torah. So he says, he references Isaiah 55. He says, because what Jesus gives you, Isaiah 55, is without money and without price. Jesus says, you don't have to buy what I give because I give it. (laughs) My love doesn't cost a thing. My presence doesn't cost a thing. And Jesus says, I want you, and you can't buy me because I gave myself to you. Jesus says, you are over here trying to buy me when I gave myself to you. How many times in your worship have you tried to buy Jesus when Jesus says, I'm just giving you my presence? So here's what he says. Here's what happens when you stop trying to buy Jesus because you can't afford him because he gives it to you for free. Here's what Jesus says you get. He says, you will get gold that's been tried in a fire. Jesus says, here's what I'll do to you. He says, I will make you free from any deformity. I will make you free from alloy. I'll make you free from dross. What Jesus says is that you have deceived yourself so much that you keep missing grace because you're trying to buy grace. And Jesus is reminding them that grace has been given to you in spite of your self-inflicted wounds. Grace has been given to you in spite of your self-sufficiency, in spite of your self-deception, In spite of turning your back on God, Jesus says, you think the earthquake was bad. I could have wiped you out with the earthquake, but grace was given to you because you from me have been gold that's been tried by fire. You may not have gone through what other people have gone through. But God says you have gifts, you have tongues, you have understanding, you have a prayer language, you have faith, you have everything, but you have all of these gifts, but you have no love for Jesus. It's hard to be gifted and not know it. Grace is where we begin to see the favor of God that allows our gifts to do things in the natural that only operate in the supernatural, but because they didn't honor grace. Jesus says, I will not honor you. God says, I have perfected you. I have made you free from any blemish, but you are so focused on yourself that you can't see that I love you so much that things that should have killed you didn't wipe you out. You should have died from all that mineral water you took. You should have died, but I gave you a medical center. You should not have people travel through Laodicea, but I planted communities around you to come and purchase you. I gave you the gifts. I gave you a vision to see what to make in Laodicea and your response is to be lukewarm. So Jesus says, I want you to stop trying to impress me and to buy me, but to trust me. Because here's what you'll see. Look what he says. You'll be rich in grace. Hallelujah. He says, and not only will you be rich in grace, but I'll give you new clothes to wear. The word there in the Aramaic, Jesus saying, it's not new clothes literally. I'm going to honor you with my presence. 
I wish I had a witness here. Jesus. See, this is the issue with Laodicea, the same issue I feel in the room right now. Because, no, I'm supposed to promise you money and a new relationship and a new car and a new job. No, here's what Jesus says. If you trust me, I'll make you wealthy with my grace. Because meet God plus anything plus God is the majority. And Jesus says, I'll make you wealthy in grace. I'll give you new clothes. No, it won't be Versace. It won't be Essentials. It won't be Nike. It won't be New Jordans. But I'll clothe you in my presence. Watch it. Meaning so that nobody will ever see your shame. Some of us cannot worship because you're worried about people who know your story. You are worried about people who know the stuff that's under your clothes. But what Jesus says, if you trust me, I will never let people dishonor you because I'm clothing you. In my, I wish I had a witness in here. I know that you've got a history, but Jesus says with me, we'll write a brand new story. And some of you cannot praise God this morning because you're trying to cover up stuff that Jesus says, if you trust me, I'll get, I wish I had somebody, I'll cover you, I'll honor you, and you'll never be humiliated by your shame. And then he says, I'll put some healing salve on your eyes. Hallelujah. He says, the medicine that you are so proud of, the degree that you are so proud of, the last name that you are so proud of does not match my healing ointment. Revelation here, Jesus says, as you are so blind because you are so proud of yourself that you have stopped worshiping me. You are so self-deceived. You are boasting in yourself. And what Jesus says is he quotes 1 John 2 and 20, I will anoint you with new vision. Y'all missing me tonight. Jesus says, your money can't give you the vision that I can give you. Your degree can't give you the vision that I can give you. And he says, I will give you a new oil. God, I wish I had somebody to see things the way that I see them. I will cast away your ignorance and teach you brand new things. And here's the thing about this eye salve. This eye salve, y'all, in the context was painful. You didn't want something to come on your eyes. Because let me tell you this, anointing is painful. Oh, anointing. God is breaking things inside of you. And when God breaks some stuff inside of you so you can see the world like he sees it, you get uncomfortable with the sins that you've committed. You become honest about who you are. And the reason some of us would rather live in sin than trust Jesus is because we don't want the painful process of being anointed. I don't want to preach about this on stage. I don't want my family in a fishbowl. I don't want to be eviscerated for every word that I say, but I've been anointed. I don't want to sing in front of people who don't like me. I don't want to sing in front of people who won't lift their hands because anointing is painful. I don't want to open the door for people who don't want to talk to me. I don't want to serve people who want to kill me because if I talk to anybody in the building, God put some oil on me so I don't lose my mind with the weight of what's on my life. Jesus lays it on thick. I don't want you to be so consumed with yourself that you don't see that I am the sufficient one. I am the strong one. And that when I put my hand on you, I'll heal you from the inside out. Because the hardest battle you'll fight is the war against yourself. Whew. The hardest battle you'll fight 
is you and Jesus, like Jacob, you and Jesus wrestling all night long because I want to keep in sin. I want my thoughts. I want my ego. I want my past. I want my frustration. I want my negativity. And God says, no, I'm going to injure you so everybody knows that you've been with me. Because what matters is not your fight. What matters is your worship. So I want to free you. Quit fighting yourself. Quit fighting yourself and receive the truth that Jesus will lay some thick anointing on you because he wants you to be rich in grace. Jesus wants you to understand that he can cover up all the places that you've been trying to cover up with your own wealth. He'll cover up all the spots that you've been trying to cover up by yourself. You don't have to stay up all night worrying about it because Jesus will cover that thing up. Because God says, if you try, I wish I had a witness here. God says, I'll give you grace and then I'll cover you with my presence. Meaning that whenever people see you, they don't see you, they'll see me. And I'll put you on stage because I'll trust that when you get up up there, you'll make my name bigger. Then I'll give you a new vision. That you ain't got to worry how to make money. I'll, get, I'll show you how to make money. You ain't got to worry how to lead your family. I'll show you because little becomes a much in the hands of God. Am I talking to anybody in the building? God, put some oil on me. God, make me rich in your mercy because I want to be like biggest issue, Jesus says, is you think you can do it without me. Newsflash, breaking news, you can't. But can you imagine, I want you to imagine really quickly, can you imagine what your life would be like if you trusted Jesus fully? No, 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 no. I don't want to, no, 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 no. I, I, he ain't no goosebumps. Jesus will put you at million dollar tables to make million dollar decisions. Because I would, a cattle on a thousand hills is his. And you worried about next month's rent? You worried about next month's bills? You were, God, can you imagine if you really invited Jesus into every part of your life? I know you're educated. I know you're successful. I know you're retired. I know you got retirement accounts. I know you got crypto, you got investments, you, you debt-free, you all on your way to debt-free. You're wealthy, you got a child, two-parent home. You, your worst storm has not been the stuff that Hollywood says black people go through. Your worst storm, because you got a rainy day fund. I mean, you so good, you got, you got savings on savings. You are set, you don't have to work if you don't want to, you just choose to. I'm not knocking you because Jesus says, no, I see you. I see you. And imagine what I could do with you if you didn't think you did it by yourself. So what does he do here? Here's his exhortation. I'm finished. Those whom I love, verse 19, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. What does he do? Verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and I'm knocking. Yeah. If anyone hears me, open the door. He tells them the roots of their conversations. He says, those whom I love. I want to stop there. In all of the offending moments of the scriptures, Jesus only convicts you because he loves you. He says, everything I'm telling you is coming from my heart. But hear this, it's coming from a broken heart. And because you've broken my heart, Jesus says, he's quoting Hebrews chapter 12. 
I have to engage with you like children because you're acting like one. That's just the text. I, I'll rebuke you. I will discipline you. Why? Here's why. Because I'm coming back soon. And here's the thing about it. Jesus says, this makes me want to shout. I want to have you with me in eternity worshiping. And so if that means I give you a whipping on earth so you don't have to endure eternal damnation in hell, then be offended on earth so you ain't got to spend eternity in hell. That deserves a whole a run right there. Jesus says, you may not like me on earth because I don't want you to be in hell with Satan for eternity. So be offended because I love you. I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to discipline you because I want to be with you in heaven for eternity. And we get mad at Jesus and we get mad at his word and we get mad at the preacher. We get mad at the deacon. We get mad at the discipline. No, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines because he wants to be with you for eternity because I'm coming back soon. So Jesus, offend me. Offend my offenses. Make me frustrated because I'd rather endure the discipline here than to have weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity. Now, I know we don't like preaching heaven and hell, but that's the text. There's a heaven, there's a hell. And Jesus says, I will whip you here so you don't get whipped for eternity. So if that means you want to come to me and put a finger in my face and say, I hate you because you're talking about sin, please do it. Because I don't want you to have eternal damnation. If that means, Pastor, you're going to send me another email about how much you hate this series, please do. Because I'd rather you get mad on earth than to have Satan beat your tail for the rest of eternity. So choose to be offended here and may God grow you. May God expand you. May God open you. May you go back to your word. May you get on. Am I talking to anybody in the building? God, offend me here so I can worship you when I get Here's what he's doing. Here's what he's doing. He says, choose to be cold, Choose to be hot by repenting. And then what does he do? He says, because I am standing at the door and I'm knocking. Whew, we worship Jesus every Sunday. And I wonder how many times we've been up here singing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus was at the back door knocking. And we didn't let him in. I wonder how many times our praise teams been up here going as hard as they could. We've been preaching as hard as we could. And Jesus was at the front door of this church knocking. And we told Jesus, you're not wearing the right clothes today. Jesus was knocking and we told him his baby was too loud. Jesus was knocking and we told him he didn't park, he parked in my parking space. Jesus was knocking and we told him, well, you come back on next Sunday because we don't do that this Sunday. We Jesus was knocking and we told Jesus, how many times has Jesus been knocking and you say you're in worship of Jesus? And he says, here's the answer, but I don't like it. Jesus says, here's what I'm doing for those of you who want me in your life. I'm knocking at the door. I'm knocking at the door. He says, I'm not coming like a thief in the night. I'm not coming to destroy the synagogue. I'm not coming to wipe you out. To the church he gave the worst rebuke to, you make me throw up. He says, I'll give the most intimacy to if you repent. I'll come and have dinner with you. We have Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday. Jesus is going to knock at your door. Are you going to let him in? 
Court and I got married. Court and I got married uh, a couple years ago, back in 2016, March 5th, 2016. I know you're watching, so I didn't forget. March 5th, 2016. We got married. And I remember we got married and we moved to moved into her apartment. And I moved into her apartment. Um, I got in there and uh, I was a guy. I was a guy who played sports. And so I had jerseys, I had signs, I had all this, you know, I had neon lights. Don't judge me because it was a guy came. I don't care. So we had, had all this stuff in my guy apartment. And I moved into Court's place and uh, shut my apartment down, put everything in my car, started driving there. And she said, babe, um, mm, some of that stuff, I love you, but, you know, you got to get rid of some of this. These, I had signs and relics. I had, I used, every place we traveled and played, I used to get shot glasses every one of those places. So I had like a, I made a table with shot glasses and stuff. She was like, babe, we don't, we don't do that, right? Like, she's like, that's cute. But like, that was cute for college. It's not cute for this because you're, you're married. You're not college. You can't live single married. So she said, Justin, some stuff is not welcomed into this new apartment. What needs to move out in your life for Jesus to come in? Because some of us, Jesus can't come in because you're too big. That's the way to see it. It's not other people. It's not your past. It's you are so important that Jesus can't be. And here's what he's doing. He's knocking. I want to come into every place you're irritated. I want to come into every place you have pain. I want to come into every place you're frustrated. I want to come into every place to teach you how to have joy. I want to come into your past. I want to come into your future. I'm knocking at the door. Are you going to let Jesus in? Are you going to let Jesus in? Because no one can do what Jesus can do. No one can change the way that Jesus can change. He's waiting, and here's what he'll give you. My last thing, verse 21. Jesus says, here's my promise. I will let you sit next to me when I sit next to the Father. To the church, he said, he makes him throw up. He gives them the greatest promise. If you receive the rebuke well, I'll let you sit next to me while I'm sitting next to the Father. May this season of your life lead you to be unoffended because you want to grow so much in Jesus that you'd rather be seated next to Jesus than worry about the pain of life and frustration in hell. Let me tell you, because people are going to fail you, but Jesus won't. He doesn't know how to. These letters from Jesus to John, John to the churches, came directly from him. He's not going to fail you. To every church, no matter how bad they were, he promised them something. May you trust what he says, because this whole book taught me one thing, and your relationship with Jesus matters. I'd rather be found faithful to Jesus than be found popular, than be found cool, than be found amazing. I'd rather be found faithful to Jesus. Because let me tell you, every person in this room, eventually at one time in their lives, is going to fail you. I'm not talking about some small stuff. I'm talking literally, when someone in this room passes away, it's going to hurt you. They'll fail you. Because we are feeble, sinful creatures that have eternity promised to us, and it'll hurt you when one of us fails you. 
I'm going to preach a topic you don't like. Somebody's going to say something on the way out of church that makes that could make you lose your mind. Someone is not going to do enough. A deacon's not going to call you when you think of them to call you. Somebody ain't going to do something because we're sin-filled creatures. We're broken. And all that matters is that Jesus is knocking at the door. And will you let Jesus come into that broken place? Or will you try to figure it out? Because the last time we tried to figure out brokenness, sin came into the world. May you trust Jesus in this season. He's knocking. Let him in. I want to pray for you today, and I want to pray for your... Um, your mind, but I want to end this the way that Jesus ended this. He said the same thing every letter. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit one question. What are you saying to me?